Here I am, Lord, gracefully broken. Open up my arms, stretching it out wide before your presence. And it's a joyous thing to be in God's presence and to just enjoy the beauty of his glory and the joy that comes with it. And we can just relax ourselves in that. This morning, I bring grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, his beloved Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit who gathers us in faith. Slavery is a concept that is very much out of place in our modern world today. The idea that one human can have the power to force another to serve him is offensive in our modern minds. The majority of us will recall at the very thought of owning a slave, or especially at the thought of being a slave. But did you know that slavery is alive and well today? In fact, there are slaves still here in the United States right now. And in fact, I'll go a step further by saying that there are slaves in this very room this morning. Are you surprised by hearing that? You look surprised. But by the time this message is up and done, you understand where we're going with this. Well, in, it, may, it may surprise you to learn that we are all slaves. The only difference lies in reference or to which master you would choose to serve. And uh, the only difference also comes in the wake of the fact between this slavery and the one that brought about the emancipation is you get to choose your master. You get to choose who you would serve. And, but during the, the time of the emancipation, the slaves did not choose who they were serving. In fact, they were choosing. And that was a different situation. And so in these verses, Paul is continuing his discussion of the difference between being dead in sin and being alive in Christ. In these last verses of chapter 6 of Romans, which is our second reading for today, he presents a, a series of, of contrasts that point out the fact that we are all slaves, uh, that we will continue to be slaves for all our, our lives, but that we have a choice of which master we are going to serve. And that's what makes the difference. And it is the thought that I would like to preach about this morning for a few minutes while I talk to you under the theme, choose whom you will serve. And say that back to me, choose whom you will serve. I didn't hear you. Now turn to the person next to you, tell him, choose whom you will serve. Man, come on, say this thing with power. Choose whom you will serve. All right. And it is that thought that I would like to talk about this morning. I want us to be able to see clearly which master we are serving. And I want us to see that we have the opportunity to change masters this morning. If, if we find ourselves 
serving the wrong one, you have the rights. You have that ability to change masters this morning. God, in his emancipation proclamation, gave us, his children, the ability to choose and make the right choice. So let, let, let me talk to you from these two points this morning. Let me make this clear that this does not have anything to do with decision theology. What decision theology teaches is that you choose God. Decision theology tells you to make the decision to get saved. That's what it tells you. That's decision theology. Our church body does not believe in decision theology that teaches that you get the right to go and choose God. And the reason we don't agree with that ideology is because when a, the Bible says that we are dead in sin, we are dead in our trespasses, have you seen a dead person choose? Have you seen a dead person make any choice? No. So if we are dead in sin and the spirit man is dead, the spirit man has no ability to make any kind of choice. Not unless the power of God comes inside of him and resurrect that dead spirit and bring it alive. Unless that happens, he or she cannot make any choice at that point of death. So we believe in our theology that uh, at Upon hearing God's word, that faith is activated and germinated inside of us. And as a result of that, your spirit man gets alive. And now you are alive in Christ, and you have now the ability to make choices because you are alive in him. It is from that context that I'm speaking this morning. And I want to talk about three points, and I'm going to sit down after the three points. The first one I want to look at is the choices that we have to make. The word choice is a, the word choose, rather, is a word that is found throughout the Bible from the Old Testament. We find it running throughout the New Testament as well. And choosing is a part of the journey that we, follow, we, we, we do or we make, uh, the journey that we take as we follow God. We have to choose. There are a lot of things to choose from. And so we find it in Deuteronomy 28. When God took the children of Israel out of Egypt and brought them into the promised land. They get into the promised land, and in Deuteronomy 28, he tells them, I place before you what? Life and death. He says, but I ask you to choose life. This had nothing to do with deliverance. He had delivered them out of uh, Egypt and brought them to the promised land. That was God's doing. They had nothing to do with it. It's like us today. Our salvation does not depend on us. It depends on God. It depends on us hearing God's word and the word of God bringing that new life inside of us. Now that we are in Christ, we get to choose. While we are in Christ, we still have that ability now to choose. And so God is telling them, he brings them into the promised land. He's telling them, I, I put before you, you still have life and death issue here to deal with. And he says, I ask you to choose life. In Joshua 24, verse 15, Israel had gone through, I mean, had settled into the promised land. And after a while, they started to worship false idols and doing all these things, walking away from the God that had delivered them and brought them in. So, so, so then Joshua stands up in front of them and tells them these words, Choose ye this day whom you will serve. Choose. He said, if you want to serve the gods from the other side, Choose that. 
If you want to serve the God who delivered you and brought you in, then make that choice. He says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It has to do with a decision that we make. We live in a pluralistic world now. And outside of this place, there are multiple things to choose from. Multiple things that you can choose from. And the world has become so attractive that many people have gotten suctioned into it and have walked away from God. But it does not deny the truth that we still have the ability to make that choice. And this is what um, uh, Joshua is telling the children of Israel choose. We find this with the three Hebrew boys in Daniel 3. The Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has said that they should worship this image that he had made. Worship it, bow down and worship it. And these three guys said to him, King, they said to him that we know that our God is able to deliver us from this fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't do it, we will not bow to this bill. We choose to worship him. That was a matter of choice. They made the choice to worship the God of heaven and earth. Jesus and his disciples went through the same thing in John 6. When Jesus said to them, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, he says, you cannot be a part of me. You cannot inherit eternal life. The Bible says a lot of them got upset by those words, and they walked away from him. He turned to the disciples and the rest of those who left and asked them, are you going to leave too? And then the spokesman for them, Peter, said, Lord, to whom shall we go? <laughs> we found out that you have the, the answer to eternal life. So we stuck with you. We stay with you. That was the choice that they had to make. And so as we are in this Christian journey, this is one of the abilities that God has given us. One of the gifts that God has given to us is the gift of choosing. And so in Romans 6, verses 15 and 16, it says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that one you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. It's a question that he posed to them. Paul writes, here in this text, Paul tells us that we have the privilege of choosing to yield our members to a master. And he's telling us that there are only two masters that are out here, literally. Only two. You either belong to one and hate the other, or belong to the other and hate the other. So you, got, you, you belong to one of them. So in verse 16a, he says, Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are a slave of that one you obey? What is he saying? We can choose to live in rebellion. It's a choice that people make. You can choose to live in rebellion, slave to sin, which leads to death. That's what it means to live in rebellion. All right, you become a slave to sin, and the outcome is, is, is death. The wages of sin is what? The Bible says, it's death. Okay? So the outcome of that sinful pattern of behavior is death. That's what the Bible says. You know, when God gives us instructions in the Bible, we will often take it as God just trying to be Lord 
over us. When really it is not the case, it is just God being loved, being a God of love. And in that attribute of love, he comes into fellowship with us. And in loving us so much, he doesn't want us to get hurt. So when he says, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, it's all like God's telling you, there's a landmine there, don't step over there, you step, it's going to blow up. Walk over there, step over there. That's all he's doing in his love to protect us. He gives us his word. He gives us the Ten Commandments. He gives us his instructions in it. We don't make God any more God than he is by obeying him. You know that? God was God before we were formed. And he will always be God. And he keeps all his attributes, whether we follow him or not. It doesn't diminish his power. He doesn't draw strength from nothing that we do. So why do we try to make it look like by obeying? Some of us sometimes will come to church and feel like we're doing God a favor by being in church on Sunday morning. We don't do God no favor by being in church. We do us a favor by being in church on Sunday mornings. Okay? And so, so, so he's telling us that we, 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 can, we, we have the choice, the ability to choose rebellion. But we also have the choice to live in obedience. Slave. To obedience, we can become slave to obedience, which leads to righteousness, the Bible says. That's the outcome of an obedient life, is righteousness. Living in obedience to God, we become righteous, not in our own abilities, but righteous in Christ. Because we are obeying Christ, we are living by Him, His instructions, His word, we are loving Him, we are in fellowship with Him, and we draw from uh, that natural, uh, 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 what do you call it, righteousness that He brings into us as a result of us being in fellowship with Him. So it is called cause and effect. To every cause, there is an effect. If we choose sin, the outcome is death. If we choose obedience, the outcome is what? Righteousness. All right? So it's, it's a cause and effect. And so choice is a part of the Christian journey. Everybody say that with me. Choice is a part of the Christian journey. I didn't hear you. Yes, it is. Choice is a part of that. We cannot deny that. You have the ability to choose. Why is it that we're going to stand before God in the last day? The reason we stand before God, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians uh, 10 verse 5, that everybody would stand before God and give account for every deed done while we were yet in the body. Why? It's because of choice. Because he gave us the ability to choose, and based on that, we are making choices, and in the ultimate end, when we stand before God, we'll give answers for those choices we made now. We may look big and bad doing the things we do and making the choices we make, but one day's coming when the real big and bad dude is going to be sitting up on his throne and we will be standing before him giving account for the choices we made. And this is not something that we can dodge or run away from. It's coming. And we are going toward it. It's like trying to run away on the beltway. You're trying to run away from Exodus 17 on the beltway. You're only going to go around and come right back to 17. That's what it is. When we try to run from God and think we can get as far away as we can get, some days coming, my friends, when we will stand before him and give account. So we've got three beautiful kids. They're beautiful in our eyes. Three beautiful kids we have, and our desires for all three of them is that they will prosper and become productive citizens 
contributing to society in positive ways here on the earth when, when, before their times are up. And that's the desire that every parent will have for their children, grandchildren. You want to see them prosper. It, and, and it brings pride to us. That's all we get, the pride that we get from the fact that they're doing good stuff. And then your friend asks you, so how, how is this kid or that one? Oh, you know, she just graduated from college. And she's working, she's doing this. And you feel good, and your friend going like, wow, that's all your parent wants. Makes us feel good, right? All right, that's all we want from that. But the choices your children make depends on them. After you've done all that you should do as a parent, bringing them up in the admiration of the Lord, teaching them how to live their lives, making sure that they are educated and everything, encouraging them in their walks, and you've done all of that, the choice would be theirs to make to do the right thing. And sometimes some parents would beat themselves because the children went astray and they started asking, what did I do wrong? You have to understand that your kids were given the ability to make choices in life. And just like God did, I put before you life and death. And I ask you to choose life. It's what we do when we call our kids and tell them, this is bad. Run away from this. Don't do this. And they still make the choice to follow down that path. It was not on you. You did what you should have done. Don't beat yourself for that. We talk about choices. Let's talk about the changes. In Romans 6, verses 17 through 18, it says, he says, but thanks be to God that though you used to be a slave to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Slave to righteousness. Here Paul doesn't only speak about the choices, but he also speaks about the changes in our lives as believers. And I hope we're all experiencing this change because that's what happens when a new life comes in you. There is a new desire that springs up with a new life in you. And the new desire is to serve and please God in everything that we do. And that's what comes with that. See, in our ignorance of the changes can leave us thinking that we are still positioned in the bondage of yesterday because of our ignorance of the fact that God has changed us. And we are still living in the bondage of yesterday instead of stepping outside of that. We act like the little elephant that they take out of the forest and bring in the zoo. They bring the baby elephant in the zoo and they, they, they attach a little chain to the foot and then put the chain to a post over there. And the baby elephant is not strong enough, so every time it tries to go, it gets pulled back by the chain. It stays there, it grows up, and becomes a grown elephant full of power and strength. But it doesn't know that it has that much power because it got so used to being pulled back by the string or the chain. Every time it tries to go, the, the chain pulls it back, and it goes back So, oh, I'm stuck. When it has the power to pull that post out of the ground, but it doesn't know it. That's how a Christian is who doesn't know the ability and the strength and the power that comes with the change that God has brought in our lives. And every time we try to pull away from those bad stuff, bad habits, bad things in our lives, we get pulled back and we feel like we are stuck. You are not stuck. Let me tell you why. Because greater is he that is in you than the things that are in this world. You're not stuck. 
You need to tell yourself that. If you are suffering from an addiction this morning, you need to begin to speak to yourself. Tell yourself, I am not stuck. I got power in Christ. I can overcome this circumstance. I can move from here and move to where God wants me to go where I've been stopped. I have the ability to choose. You, Satan, don't choose for me. I choose for me. God has given me a new life. And in that new life, I'm going to walk. You could be living in sin, doing something crazy that you don't like. You got to keep prophetically speaking truth over your life. Speak the truth from God's word that I'm going to be who God say I am and not what this situation says I'm going to be. And you keep walking in it and walking in it and exercising your faith in it to become what you are now. Every road is full of uh, 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 difficulties, you know. Every journey is full of difficulties. My wife and I have been married now for 29 years. Never thought we were going to get this far. Almost 30 years of marriage. I know some of you are longer. You're saying that's nothing. But I'm just, I'm just you know, praising God for how far we've come. But the journey was not an easy journey. For all of you who've been married for many years, like us, you know that the journey had not been an easy journey. Because you got two people together with two different views. Sometimes it gets rough. But we've been in there, stuck in there, because of the love that we have for one another and the choice we've made to do this. And nothing's going to break it. And the devil is not going to stop it. I know he knows now by now that he can't do nothing with it anymore. Okay? But it was rough from the start. And that's how life is with everything that we try to do. But once God is in it and it is good, it's a good thing you're trying to do, you need to stick with your good plans. Don't walk away from it, my friends. Because it's, it's always difficult to do good things. But with God, he's going to help us through. Let's choose what's right. Let's choose righteousness. Let's choose to follow Jesus. It's a choice that you will make. It's a choice that you will make. Sometimes people look at people like us who have come to where we are now and, and just think God just some random way pulled us out of the world to where we were and put us here. No, that's not true. We had to be right under the banner of Christ to be able to see his plans and will for our lives. And that's the kind of choosing he wanted us to make because as he makes the changes in us, we need to recognize those changes. Recognize that God has changed you. He says, therefore now, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. This is God speaking, folks. He is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. The problem was we have not recognized that we have this newness in Christ. And we're still walking in the life of yesterday. So he speaks of our past failure. This is before we became saved. He used the phrase, you used to be slave to sin before you got saved. Then he speaks of our precious faith. He says this is when we became saved. He, now he says that what? You have come to obey from your heart. The obedience we're talking about is not a head obedience. It is a heart obedience. It starts from within here. That's what makes the difference, folks. It's different. It's not, it's not a head knowledge. It is a heart thing. When God comes in a person, he comes into the heart. That's where he comes and starts to work. And that's when a person knows truly that he or she has the life of God in him because you feel something happening inside. It is not a knowledge of God. It is an experience of God. 
There's a difference. You don't only have a knowledge of God, but you have an experience happening in here. And because of the experience that is happening in here, even when you are in the darkness, you recognize God's presence with you there and the choices that you're making at that given time. See how precious it is. And so he speaks about that precious faith that we have. He speaks about our present freedom that we have in God. This is living in the glorious salvation of God. You have been set free, he says, from sin and have become slave to righteousness. Slave to righteousness. Everybody says slave to righteousness. Yes, that's who we are. Slave to righteousness. You, I mean, <laughs> the love of God overwhelms you. It takes over you so much that you are, all your, your daily concern is that you just want to please him. That's been slave to righteousness. It is in your heart. The love of God is sitting in there. And so the choices we make every day is dependent upon what God feels, how God thinks. And God and I, we are going through this thing every day, every moment of the day. I'm thinking about what God's thinking about. How, if I do this, how he's going to feel about it. I mean, simple things. Because he's there, you know. So when God is that close with you, you are not concerned about the decision you take. You're concerned about the decision he would take for you. And it would be like that little acronym we used to wear on our wrist, what would Jesus do? You walk all day with what would Jesus do about this and that and this and that. And that's what governs the way you live your life. You open God's word. And so, so what's the answer for this situation I'm facing right now? What is God saying about it? And then when you, once you see that, you forget about how you feel, how you're thinking about it. You start thinking about how God sees it and how God is thinking about it. It changes everything. It changes everything. And that's why Paul says, it is no longer I that live, but Christ <laughs> who lives in me. That's him. He brings the difference in us. Galatians 5, verses 4 and 5 says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. See that? So we are sons and daughters of God. And if we are, we've been adopted into this great palace and we live in a palace, you cannot be bringing the stuff from out of your, your uh, project home into the palace. You can't do that. You have to live like a king and a queen. Live in a righteousness that the palace presents is what Paul's talking about. We are sons and daughters of God. We need to recognize who we are every day. If you don't do that, you're going to mess up on some stuff, I'm telling you. That's who we are. And this is not something you can change, you know. And th that's what John explained. He said we are sons of God, and that's who we are. What that means is you cannot change it. It is a status God's given to you that you cannot change. And if you can't change the status, why not enjoy the status? Why not live in it? And just enjoy the beauty of God in it. You know, that's what he's calling us. Let me talk about the last thing, and I sit down. The challenges. We talk about the choices, the changes. Let's talk about the challenges. See, that's what I like about this second service. I'm free to just talk. I'm not looking at the time, you know. And it's just a wonderful thing. So in, in Romans chapter 6, verse 19, he said, I'm using an example, Paul says, from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. Paul used 
of the imagery of slavery here is one that is his reader were very familiar with. Why? Because it had been noted that there were about 50 million slaves in the Roman Empire during the first century. They had those many, and they used to do all kinds of inconceivable things with those people as they were slaves. Put them in the arena to go and fight, and fight until they bleed to death. And they used to do some horrible things that you would not imagine. So they were slaves to sin at that time. And Paul gives this description. So he says, remember the deeds of the lost life that you live. The first challenge is for the Roman believers to remember how they lived their lives before they came to know the Lord. They are to remember how they yielded or placed their members at sin's disposal. And many of us who have our testimonies, who came out of the world before we came to Christ, not those who were born in the church and never experienced what the world really has to offer, but some of us been out there in the world, done that, and you can attest to it when you were out in the world, you never really cared. You lived your life. It was the moment, it was the time to just live out your life and enjoy it, you know? And we were doing those things with no, no ounce of shame. We did everything. You know, until God dipped his little pint of love in our hearts and changed the whole scope of life for us and brought us to this point. So he says, remember the deeds of the lost life, because if people rarely live, you cannot appreciate the present by forgetting the past. You have to remember the past to be able to appreciate the present. You cannot forget it. So he's telling them, think about yesterday. Think about where God brought you from and to where he's brought you. Remember the duties of the loose life you live, he says. The reason they are to remember their past is so that they can see how they are to live in their present life in this time. You know, what God is expecting from us now. When their lives were loose, they were not embarrassed, they were not ashamed, they went out and did any kind of, kind of thing they wanted to do, lived the life the way they wanted to, and were not answerable to anybody. That's what Paul is saying, that now you're living in the righteousness of God. You are not answerable to anybody. He says, live your life freely. Don't put the light under the, 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 the table or under the bed. He says, put it on top of the house. Let everybody see it. Let the world out there know that you belong to Jesus Christ. Let them see it. They get out there in the streets and they blow up the, the speakers in the car playing songs or music or rap that don't make no sense. You blow up your speakers too and talk about Jesus. Let them know that Jesus is alive as well. We were, we were one time in Ocean City and this guy came driving down the street and he, I mean, driving in his fancy looking car, tune up the, 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 the sound in the car and he's blasting. I'm not tune up the, my, my speakers too. I said, what, what is this? I tune up my speakers and I was blasting Jesus in the car and they were like, Daddy, put it down. No, let them know. That I belong to Christ. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews first and also to the, to the Gentiles. So that's for us too, especially in the time we live in now. You know, the devil has done everything possible to shut down the gospel. Today the church is not going out anymore to evangelize and we are wondering why the pews are empty. You know? And that was the great mandate that he gave. Go 
and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and then teach them to observe. Why? Because after you preach the gospel and you baptize them, they're born again, then they're going to come in to be taught. But we are not doing that anymore. What the church is doing instead in these days, we are making our, our churches look fancy and beautiful, and then we go to the other church and steal members and bring them here. But we're not going out to win souls and bring them in. And God is calling us to do that. How can we do that? The way we will do that is by going out and letting our lights shine in the world. So that the Bible says men will see God's good works and glorify the Father who is in heaven. And I'm praying that Holy Nativity will get to this point. I'm working with Caring, our family life ministry director. And we are putting some programs together to step out into abuters. We have gotten the demographic for this area already, and we're working on things. So for those of you who are really in, in, in concerned and interested in stepping out of these doors to meet the neighbors, you need to see Karen and talk to her about this. We want to start uh, an evangelistic effort that would do that. So I pray, uh, let's pray about that and just become very intentional about going out and making our presence known and making Jesus known. I love the, the Jewish witness they got a wrong message, but they got good intentions. You get on the streets over there, whether it's cold or hot, those people are out there in the heat. They're out there in the cold. They're standing on the street corners. They stop them from going in the shopping center or in the parking lot of the shopping center. They stand on the main street, and they are there and to talk to people. That's how intentional the church needs to get. We need to step out and reach out there and make disciples for Jesus Christ. I pray that these words from God this morning would encourage your hearts, keep you steadfast in your faith, knowing always if we do the right thing, God will never bring us this far and leave us. He wouldn't teach us to swim and let us drown. God would not build his home in you and move away. He would never lift you up and let you down. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now we've heard the word of God, and as an act of our faith in Christ, let's stand and say the Apostles' Creed together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. God bless you.